This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, welcome to the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. First of all, thank goodness. Thank goodness that the Brooklyn Nets erased a 21-point deficit on Saturday night against the Denver Nuggets because, you know, you can tell me all day, oh, it's good to face adversity. Losing sucks. And watching them lose to the Milwaukee Bucks twice, watching them lose to the Dallas Mavericks in what felt like identical ways was a frustrating existence. So to see them come back from 21 down, watch them frustrate Jokic down the stretch, watch KD close the team out, that was what I like to call a nice mental health victory for the Nets on Saturday night. I would agree with that. Losing is the worst. It makes everything around you seem like it's just not as good as it should be, and it felt great to get that win. And that was a Denver team that had so many people missing, so many people out. And on a back on a back to back to boot as well, uh, the Nets needed to come out with energy. They did in the third quarter, and thank goodness they won because it's amazing how you could go on a you could be on a five game losing streak to now on a one game winning streak with winnable games in front of you, and the whole world feels different for the Nets, especially with this Milwaukee game about to be wrapped up too. Oh yes, I, I have made an assumption that since the back-to-back losses to Milwaukee and since the Nets' response to that was losing to Dallas and the Bucs had been very, very hot until they ran into the San Antonio Spurs, it just felt to me like it was inevitable that the Nets were going to get the three seed. Now, they still may get the three seed, and we'll lay it out, but they got major, major help by the Bucs getting destroyed by the Spurs on Monday night. And what I love about it is now the destiny is back in our hands, Okay. If the Brooklyn Nets can win their final four games, two at the Chicago Bulls, one game with uh, the San Antonio Spurs, who just helped us out, one with the Cleveland Cavaliers, that's it. We're the freaking two seed. We don't have to scoreboard watch. We don't have to do anything like that. But here's my concern. I don't know if the Nets care about the two seed. And because of that, I'm not sure about Kevin Durant with the the back-to-backs. They've got two of them the rest of the way. So that's my only, you know, I pivot from, Hey, great news. Thank you, San Antonio to the idea of, I'm not sure they're going to put themselves in position to run the table and secure that two seat. Yeah. It's funny too, Evan, because like, I I know we've done a bunch of these episodes and I talked about seeding the more and more I've gone down the road and the more and more I've seen the playoffs and where they can be and where things will end up, the more and more I want the two seed. I think I felt left, less as excited about if it's one two or three i was like hey we're the nets we're gonna be all right 
but the more and more this team has struggled, the more the Sixers have won games, and the more uncertainty we have seen with James Harden, the more I'm like, let's just get the two seed. I mean, the path that makes it easier. There's no way around it. Dude. With the Jalen Brown news injury in the Celtics and, and not facing like a Miami or a New York and facing a team like a Boston or a Charlotte and then having home court versus, versus theoretically Milwaukee. I'm like, this, this is a, the, the two seed to me is a, is a big deal. Like the two, three is a big deal right now. Maybe more than it was a couple weeks ago in my head. Dude, all you've got to do is see the picture become clearer. And it's obvious that they benefit more. I mean, that there's there's a reason for that. Now, I understand that you're going to be at smart. You're going to play it smart over the final week. I don't think they're going to defy their strategy from the entire season, which is they're not going to play Kevin Durant all back-to-back. So I understand that. And I also understand those that say to me, you're the Nets. You shouldn't prefer opponents. You know, you should be the favorites against anybody. It shouldn't matter if you're home or road. Well, guess what? It does. I mean, as a fan, you'd rather face the worst teams. I mean, is that like a new phenomenon? Of course, you'd rather face the road that's easiest. No one's going to remember that if you win an NBA championship. And and here's the way it's laid out now. okay? because I think finally, after all these months, the playoff picture is starting to come in a little bit more focus. If this team can secure the two seed and that means win their games because you can't rely on the Bucs getting picked off again. If you win your games, you are looking at likely Charlotte or Boston in the first round of the playoffs. That's the likeliest scenario because now the Charlotte Hornets lead the Washington Wizards. You mentioned the Wizards. We've been talking about them all fair a lot because I think you're afraid of them. But the Wizards are behind the Hornets by two games. Plus, Charlotte's got the tiebreaker. So it appears likely that Washington's kind of stuck in that 9-10 slot, which wouldn't affect the Nets because we're not going to the number one seed. So if I told exactly. you, you it's between Boston and Charlotte if you get the two seed, but if you get the three seed, you're talking about Miami, the Knicks, or Atlanta. It's not even close at this point. No, it's, it's not. And the, and the Jalen Brown injury, I mean, just magnifies it even more. Of course. Was, okay, Brown, Tatum going to the playoffs. But if it's the Celtics without Brown and just Tatum, I, I, that to me is the team you'd want more than anybody else in the whole damn conference. Well, I mean, that is a huge, I mean, that is a magnificent difference to go dude, right I, there. I, and I, then the fact that the next round will be home court, the 2-3 the to me just got, got blown up big in Portland scale. If they play Boston or they play Charlotte in the first round, I have the utmost confidence we will get this done very quickly, okay? It'll be yes. relatively stress-free. You know, maybe there'll be a close game here or there, but I feel like, especially from what we saw in the regular season against Boston and, and without Jalen Brown, like you mentioned, that this would be a disposal, that this would be – a very easy sweep. Same thing with Charlotte. I think Miami gives you a battle. I think the Knicks give us a battle. And look, that doesn't mean I think the Knicks are going to beat the Nets or Miami's going to beat the Nets, though I think Miami's the biggest threat or Atlanta's going to beat the Nets. But I really think of those three teams, and we can rank them. You know, we could say, oh, I'd rather not face this team, that team, this team. I think all three of them would at least make us sweat a little bit. I look at Boston and Charlotte and say, we'll have a nice, relaxing first round. And then, as you mentioned, you throw in the fact that you get home court advantage in a potential series against Milwaukee. And what I really would love to see, I'd love to see Milwaukee matched up with either the New York Knicks or the Miami Heat in that 3-6 slot. And obviously, that, you know, I wouldn't say that's likely to happen because Atlanta could drop the six. But 
there's a decent shot that happens because I think Miami or the Knicks would at least make it difficult for the Bucs, you know, give them a fight. And then God forbid they get picked off. Sure. Give me the New York Knicks in the second round of the playoffs. You know, I'll, I'll sign up for that. I'll go with a Nick net battle. If it means in the second round, I am curious you know, on that front though, the, what the, the team, the organization, the staff is thinking because, you know, they've said all along, it doesn't matter, but now they're getting to a point where they have to have internal conversations to go. All right, guys, I know we don't want to play this, the, the back to back thing, but th- th- we have the two seat in front of us and it just makes life a hell of a lot easier. And they're going in the war rooms and they're going, okay, this is the seven, eight, nine, 10 matchups. It looks like we're going to have Indiana nine, 10, the winner of that's going to play the, the winner of that game is going to play the loser of Charlotte, Boston for the eight seed. And they're going, wait a minute. You're telling me if we win out these games, we're going to get one of those two teams and home court. At some point, you got to put your ego aside and say, you know what? We've been through a lot. We're talking about James Harden maybe being ready on a Wednesday. This is, we got, let's go out and get the two seed. You know, let's go ahead well, and get the two seed. You know what else? A lot better. They, 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 they cannot be that arrogant right now. Well, there's something else that you're leaving out too. That's also really, I think matters in this whole discussion if James Harden is really coming back on Wednesday, okay, and I've been very skeptical about James Harden. I even said on our last podcast, you know what? I don't think he'll be ready for the start of the playoffs. I'd love to be wrong. I'd love for him to be ready and healthy and get a few regular season games in. But let's play the hypothetical, okay? They've got four games left in their season. They're both back-to-backs, okay? So based on that logic, that means Kevin Durant is going to play two games the rest of the season. Okay, just based on the whole back-to-back thing. If James Harden is going to come back on Wednesday and let's say play the final three games, doesn't that mean Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving at most are only going to play one game together, maybe two? Yeah, right. So that's the other factor. It's not just, hey, I smell the two seed because I don't think they care. You know, despite what you just said, and it's a great point, and we've just talked about it, why we as fans prefer the two seed, I don't think they think that way. I don't think players think that way, but what I do wonder about is, are they thinking, Hey, we do want to maximize these three guys being on the court at the same time. Something we haven't seen a lot of during the regular season. And that's going to be one of the big storylines going to the playoffs. Rightfully so I get it. Hey, these guys haven't played together. How are they going to play together? uh, Especially if they face adversity, what are the rotations going to look like? If you're sticking with the Durant, no back to back, Then I ask you this. Okay, James Harden's coming back. Well, when are we going to see these three guys play together? I think that may be on more of their minds than the race for the two seed. It's funny how there's four games left in the regular season, and we've gone through 68 games, basically. The team has been very good for the most part. We've seen this little cold streak at the end. They were 14-12 and before things got cooking after the Detroit game. But what I'm trying to say is there's four games left, and there's still – so much uncertainty with this team going into the playoffs. There's so much to be decided. There's so much to learn. It's just like, okay, now we're here. Now we're at the big boy moments and now let's get it going. And it just, I love the regular season. It was fun. We had wins. I'm glad they beat Denver, but now it's go time. Let's get the two seed. Let's figure out how these three all work together and start the championship run. There's no more waiting around. There's no more figuring out. This is it. I would look at it as if 
there, the playoffs started May 22nd or whatever it might be. Like, this is the go time now. There's no more BS. <laughs> Figure it out. If Harden's ready to play, we get the guys in the court. We see what it looks like. Let's get the wins. Let's get the series started. Let's play Charlotte on May 22nd and start our championship journey. And no more, like, hypotheticals. It, 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 this is it now. I know. We've run out of time. <laughs> Well, you know what? The hypotheticals aren't going away because, you know, watching the Denver game, and it was a great close. I love the way they came out in the second half with defensive intensity. It changed the entire game. And I love the way they frustrated Nikola Jokic down the stretch of this game. You had KD defending him. You had Jeff Green forcing a jump ball in the final minute. I thought they really did a good job on Nikola Jokic down the stretch. They threw Blake Griffin at him. Nicholas Claxton, I thought, frustrated him at times. I mentioned KD, Jeff Green. I, I, I was impressed about what they did down the stretch of that game, and obviously they were able to close out Denver. But watching this game and watching the last really four or five leads me to question what the hell this rotation is going to look like because mm. Tyler Johnson has now garnered three consecutive DNPs. Now, I understand he didn't play well against the Trailblazers. He didn't play well against the Milwaukee game, the first of the two Milwaukee games. The dude has been out of the rotation. Landry Shamit, you know, we've paid Landry Shamit a lot of compliments. He has been in a shooting slump over the last 12 games. I actually calculated it. It's worse than I even imagined. In his last 10 games, he is shooting 16 for 60 from three. So he's struggling. He's still in the rotation. He's still playing. Tyler Johnson, nowhere to be seen. And then the other guy I can't understand is Alice A. Johnson, especially when they struggle on the glass, especially when they struggle defensively. Where the hell is Alice A. Johnson? DeAndre Jordan's role kind of comes and goes. Nicholas Claxton needs to play more than 13 minutes a night. We only saw him on the floor in the Denver game for 13 minutes. I get it. He's working his way back from COVID, but Dude, you look at this rotation and you try to follow what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. I don't know what to make out of it. I mean, is Tyler Johnson out of the rotation? Is Alice out of the rotation? Is Landry Shamit permanently in the rotation? Despite the fact he has been in a massive shooting slump, what the hell's going on? I'm so glad you brought that up because there's so many questions on that front. Because I think with the Nets rotation, before this little streak that we've seen, we saw Steve Nash be like, We'll play this guy here. We'll play that guy there. And there was no feel for it. It was basically guesswork. You did not know what was coming. You didn't, because the lineups have been so different too. You didn't know if, if Johnson was coming in, if we were going to see Shamit here, if this is where Joe would pop back in, if this is what was going to happen with Alizé. Like it was so confusing. But the one thing that's happened over the last couple of games and coincides with the losing streak is it's we know that TLC is out of the rotation. We know that Tyler Johnson's out of the rotation. We know Alizé's out of the rotation. And you kind of had a feel, maybe minus the DeAndre Jordan part, of where guys would be coming in and out, and he stuck to this rotation. So my question is, why did the Nets all of a sudden decide we're going to cut Alizé out, we're going to cut Tyler out, and this is the rotation that we're going to be going with? It almost had a feel of like a team on a playoff run that had their guys and knew we're out of the bench. But what made the timing so bizarre was they're in the midst of a losing streak. Like Ty, like Le- Alizé had a 20 and 20 game yeah. three days earlier yeah. and you can't get a defensive rebound. You're down 12 and need a spark. This to me was like, I know people are like, you know, everybody knows more than the coach, but it just seemed pretty obvious 
You're down 14. You're lacking energy. You're getting crushed on the boards. You have this guy that is an instant go-to-the-glass energy dude. Why not put him in the game? And the rotations got more predictable, but the but because they got predictable, that became very unpredictable to watch. And it was strange. It makes no sense. I mean, I yeah, I get I, it. I, it was weird. I get it. It's easy for us to sit here and say, why isn't this guy playing? Why is this guy playing too much? But it really doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, why is Mike James guaranteed? 10 to 15 minutes a night. Why is Landry Shamit basically guaranteed 20 minutes a night and Tyler Johnson is stuck off the bench? Why, like you pointed out, when you're struggling on the glass, is a guy who basically had a 20-20 game the other night, Alice Johnson, not on the floor. Now, look, there are certain guys that have to play. Blake Griffin continues to be brilliant. I mean, we can't say enough how good Blake has been. I thought in a lot of ways the Denver game was maybe his finest performance. I mean, he was efficient as hell. He was hitting threes. He continues to be on the floor at all times, making plays, leaving it all out there. Look, he's not the greatest defensive player in the world. I understand that. I think he had his issues with Nikola Jokic. But Blake Griffin obviously deserves big minutes. No one's questioning that. Same thing with a guy like Jeff Green. So you look at, obviously, KD, Kyrie, Joe Harris, Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, Nicholas Claxon, and obviously when James Harden comes back, as seven guys that have to play. And so now you're looking, even with shorter rotations, okay, who else needs to be out there? Mike James, to me, is not going to be out there once James Harden is healthy. I think he's one guy that's immediately get caught out. So then it's, all right, is Landry Shamit, should he be playing 20 minutes a night, especially if he's shooting 16 for 60 over his last 10 games? Can Tyler Johnson kind of take that role back? And then obviously a guy like Bruce Brown, who we know what he can do defensively and also on the offensive glass for a guy who's you know not the tallest guy in the world. It seems like Bruce Brown's always around the basketball and always makes a play. But we have four games left, and I know you could say, well, it depends who they're matched up with. I get all that. I... I don't know what Steve Nash is actually going to do when the playoffs start. And I also don't know if he's going to continue this BS of, I'm not going to call a timeout. I'm going to let them figure it out. You know, you could do that in the middle of April during regular season basketball. But if the freaking Miami Heat are on a 12-0 run, I hope that Steve Nash actually says, maybe I should call a timeout and not let them, quote, figure it out. I don't understand the arrogance of that and not wanting to call timeouts. It it goes back to like Phil Jackson wouldn't do it, but he had Michael Jordan and the Kobe Shaq teams. They're like, oh, they'll figure it out. If you feel the momentum building, just call the timeout. It's so obvious. You can feel it as fans. You know when it's happening. I loved, I I believe it was the Bucks game. I, I don't remember exactly now, but the Nets cut it to like seven or eight and they scored a, like a three point shot and coach Bud called a timeout right away. Cause he could feel the momentum shifting. This is a big deal to make those adjustments with the timeouts and just stop the bleeding and reset everything and get rid of all of these crazy runs, especially as fans start to come into the building and energy picks up. I don't, I'm curious if coach Nash is just kind of like harkens back to, because he was so in control as a player and could, could dictate tempo of a game, and maybe when he had the ball in his hands, even if the momentum was shifting because he was so brilliant with his craft, could change plays, and he feels that with his players, and maybe he's reluctant to. But sometimes it's like, okay, 
They're an 11-2 run. You were up six. Now, all of a sudden, you're down five. They just hit a three. Call a timeout and reset this thing and get things going on the other direction. There's no need for them to these runs because they get out of control. And that was the trend in all these games, minus the Nugget game. It was like Nets up three or four, nine minutes in the fourth quarter. All of a sudden, they're down seven to nine. Boom, game was over. And it was the same stinking run every stinking time. Yeah. Well, it was frustrating how they didn't, they were unable to close, that they struggled as much as they did in the latter part of games because that's not something we're used to. I mean, this was a team, especially when they were the clicking, they really excelled in the fourth quarter of games. And that's not necessarily something we saw, you know, during this losing streak. Um, I, I want Nash, of all, of all the things we just talked about with the rotation, I think the thing that may be most important is trusting Nicholas Claxton and giving him an opportunity to defend in big spots in the Denver game. He had him on the floor. I think I would say from the latter part of the third quarter on and then pulled him at about the eight minute mark of the fourth quarter and then pretty much rode the front court of Durant, Jeff Green and Blake Griffin to go along with Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris. And then he went back to him late, I think, on like the final possession of the game. But he hasn't played a lot. And, and I just wonder in crunch time, especially if they're matched up with a team like Miami, and they've got to deal with Bam out of bio. You know, how much trust do they have in Nicholas Claxton? Because unfortunately, missing all that time with COVID was a crusher because he was yeah. developing and he was getting experience and he was out there. And so I wonder about that. I wonder come playoff time, is Steve Nash going to have the trust to play Nicholas Claxton relatively big minutes? And if you're not asking him to score, his defensive rating is remar remarkable. And they made that run against the Nuggets. He was on the court bridging the third into the fourth. That's when they made their move. And that's where they were so potent on defense. His ability to play the pick and roll and guard the guards on the outside. It's like, Austin Rivers three wasn't capable as much because Nick Claxton's on him. Uh, I'm spacing out the name, but the Nuggets point guard that was just killing the net. Um, they had some remarkable three point shots. All of a sudden, those looks aren't as good with Nick Claxton out there. He is such a versatile defender. Boy, he makes such a difference for them, especially on the perimeter. And it was interesting. I watched a little bit of the Nuggets broadcast afterwards. And they would just showing you like, oh, pick and roll. Nick Claxton's out there. Oh, you got to take him. And they didn't even realize like his prowess on defense. Man, he makes such a difference for this team. I, I, I'm i with you, man. That that healed when he was out for that two to three week stretch because he was developing. He was getting a rhythm. And now it's like, okay, he's at, he's out of rhythm. And man, he misses. He misses James Harden so much. They had such great chemistry. That feels like a lifetime ago with those James Harden to Nick Claxton lobs <laughs> when Nick was putting up 12 and 12 with the, the benefit he got from James. It, it feels like a different world now and a completely different roster. All right. So obviously you want the two seed. I think most of us do. Give me the perfect bracket layout for you in the Eastern Conference. Like, who do you want in the first round? Where do you want the Knicks, Atlanta, and Miami to be situated? Give me that roadmap to perfection that you're rooting for over the next six days. Okay, so for me, it gets Celtics at the seven, Nets are at the two, so that'd be the two seven. I know the Hornets are behind them there, but I, I have, without, without Brown, I mean, the Celtics, Payton, Kemba, and then nobody. 
I don't I don't fear them at all. But I would say the Hornets number two, but give me the Nets Celtics. And I kind of like the idea of punishing Boston after everything that went down with the trade, et cetera. And then you put uh, you know, from the three seed, obviously got that that ends up going to the to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, yeah, who do you want them facing? Do you want them facing the Knicks? Do you want them facing Miami? What do you want? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I, yeah, put the Knicks at the six and then give me four <laughs> or five, you know, Hawks, Heat, whatever the order is. But I like the Knicks at the six versus the Bucks. That I, would I, be very entertaining. I do too. That is uh, the perfect world. And, and I'll tell you why it's the perfect world, all right, for any Nick yeah. fan that listens in. A lot of it's respect for the Knicks that while I don't think they would beat Milwaukee in a seven game series, I think they're a pain in the ass. I think they would battle. I think they would be tough. And I think that we would sit back in a win-win situation. And what I mean by that is if the Bucks beat the Knicks as net fans, we would enjoy it because most net fans don't like the Knicks. It's the way it is. It's Mets Yankees, right? So we would sit back and say, oh, great. You guys suck. Great season. See you later. And then we get our inevitable battle with the Milwaukee Bucks. But on the other hand, bro, if the Knicks actually pulled off the upset, I think a part of us would like it, too, because we'd yeah. say, yeah, it would suck having to deal with the Knicks fans giddiness, but it would be bring it on. OK, you've made it. Let's go. So. From that aspect, too, I love the idea of it. Yes, that sounds good. <laughs> but if you're in the moment and living in it, imagine the Knicks beat Giannis and the Bucks in the first round, and they get unbelievable performances from Julius Randle, from Derrick Rose, from R.J. Barrett. And this team is clicking after beating Milwaukee. The confidence level would be absurd, and it would be – it would be in a lot of ways, even though they wouldn't have to face Giannis and the Bucks and what we saw last week in the two-game sweep in Milwaukee, that would be um, house money for the Knicks and for the Knicks fans, and there would be uh, an insane sense of pressure. So even though it would be like, yeah, we don't have to face Giannis, in a lot of ways, I'd be like, be careful what you wish for. That could be torture. Well, no, 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 look. I wouldn't wish for it because I understand what you're saying, especially living in this city and living in this state right. for the week and a half this takes place. My point is you kind of sit back and just let them beat the crap out of each other. And sure. if the Knicks are able to survive that, and I don't think they will, and I don't mean that as any disrespect towards them. They've had a hell of a season, but to beat Giannis in a seven-game series is asking a lot. I think there will be so much taken out of them if somehow they survive that, that despite right. the pressure we'd face – there'd be a lot of confidence that we'll take care of them. You know that? Okay, fine. Um, so that's what I'm rooting for. I mean, I'll be right. honest with you. Get us the two seed and then let the Knicks drop the six. I don't want them in the first round. For And I made this clear on the air today. I don't want the Knicks in the first round of the playoffs. And I think a lot of it is, I, I don't know if I can really explain it. I, I think it's... Hmm. If we're going to play the, and this may not make any sense, but I'm being honest, as honest as I can. Yeah, if yeah. we're going to play the Knicks in the playoffs, I want them to have earned it. I would want them to have gotten through an opponent and us face them in a situation where we've never faced them. I mean, the Knicks and Nets have never played past the first round of the playoffs. So right. I guess I look at a second round matchup as, all right, that sounds more fun than a first round matchup. I don't know. I don't think any of it makes sense. I'm just kind of trying to express 
the emotions going on in my head as we head towards the postseason. I think I know what you're saying, but I don't know if I want to say it, but I think maybe I know how you're Well, well, just say it then. What do you think I'm saying? I think it's because I don't know how to say it either, but I, I think I know what you're feeling. It's like a Nets-Knicks first round matchup would be like, wait a minute, we're, we were seven games ahead of you. Like we, we I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't know how to say it, but, but I, but I, but I think I know how you're feeling. It's a, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange thought. That was a terrible I'm just job more, trying to articulate you. Yeah. I, I, because I think I'm trying to express something I can't even really put into words. Like why would I want the Knicks in the second round, but in the first round? No, I don't want that. I don't know. It's just, it's like this weird feeling I have over it. I'm not, I think I want to sit back and have my own first round series and let them have their own first round series. And they're going to get a lot of attention, more attention than we are. And that's okay. Like people bring this up to me sometimes and they're just wrong. I get why they think it, but they say, you must be so pissed that the Knicks are playing well because it takes attention away. I couldn't give a rat's patoot about attention. Like as a net no. fan, we're, we've always been under the radar. You know, we've always been the forgotten about team. The Nets didn't get any attention in 2003. It didn't stop my enjoyment of them going to the NBA finals. So that's right. not it. Like the Knicks can have all the attention in the world. I mean, I have no jealousy over that really, but look, they, they've played really well. And I, honestly, I don't think they're going to fall to six. I think the Knicks are going to be in that four or five matchup, which means either we're the two or the three, we're going to avoid them until a potential conference finals, which I, let's all understand that's not going to happen. Sure. Like we're not going to play the Knicks in the Eastern conference finals. It's just very, very unlikely. No offense to them. Um, so I don't even think this is going to be something we're going to deal with, but <laughs> I've been thinking about it. I'm not going to lie. It's been on my mind. Oh, I mean, but all, all of this is out there and, and, and all of these, these moving parts are available. And I, 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 because I, I, I always get, Try to explain to a Nick fan too, like there's, there's not a, it's a, it's a jealousy of a sense of growing up and being the little brother. But if, as far as like, you know, if, if the Nets go out and win, it doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't matter. I like to see the Knicks lose because I don't like the Knicks. Just like a Yankee fan wouldn't want to see the Red Sox go out and win. Doesn't mean that if the Yankees go out and win the World Series and the and the Red Sox lost in the you know in the wild card game, you know it's the same scenario. And I always try to lay it out there. It's the same feelings. That's all it is. Uh, but but if the Nets were to go out and win, I, I like the idea, Evan. If like the Nets had the Hornets in the first round and the Knicks had the Bucks and all the attention was given to that series because how competitive it was, and the Nets beat the the Hornets in five and no one cared. I signed up for that a hundred times out of a hundred and not have to deal with all the pop and circumstance around it. Like I just want I just want the games to be here and I just want to win the games. <laughs> That's I it. W. I want the wins and I want to feel like how I felt at 1207, whatever it was when they beat the Nuggets. I want the wins. I want 16 of them and I want my championship. And then I can say, I saw the Nets win a title and check that off and feel that joy and feel that emotion and say, you know what, Knicks, you made it to the second round. I don't care. <laughs> well said. We'll record after the regular season ends on Sunday when all the seeds are settled and the play-in tournament is upon us. And we may not know an opponent, which would be a good thing because that means we're the two seed if we don't know an right. opponent. 
but at least we'll have an idea of where we are. So we'll record that on Sunday night. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.